Oh, that's great. Hey, give it up again for Ella and the rest of the band singing that really meaningful song. And uh, give a thanks to Eric, our technical director, who created our little uh, intro to the uh, teaching time today. Good job, Eric. So Maya Angelou said, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle three things. A rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas lights. The biggest stress I've had this Christmas season has been in the world of lights. We've had a Christmas tree in our living room for probably 12 years. And uh, this season, the top section of that Christmas tree uh, has gone out. So we tried to hang some battery-operated lights up there to cover, and it just doesn't quite do the job. So if you come by our house, you'll see a three-fourths of a Christmas tree <laughs> right there. Then I've got my own peanuts, Charlie Brown tree, in our family room. And it was so disappointing. Two weeks ago, the top half of that went out. But I prayed, and it came back on, so, because <laughs> God loves Charlie Brown. Yeah. So what has been your biggest Christmas holiday stress so far this year? Holiday stress is a real thing. Just ask Clark Griswold of National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. We have to play a clip from that because it is Christmas, and I can't have Christmas without Clark. And you'll see in this clip a little bit of the stress that he went through. Take a look. The threshold of hell. Surely our Christmases are not as bad as the Griswold family Christmas at all. Fatigue from an overload of shopping and buying and uh, traveling and dealing with family. Many Americans describe this time of the year as stressful instead of magical. I saw on uh, Color 10 News the other day this survey that 29% of people in the United States are more stressed this year than last year. And this same news story said that the top three stressors are affording gifts, finding gifts, and the cost of meals. It all relates around money. This guy said, I can't afford Christmas gifts this year. I can't even afford the thought that counts. That's pretty bad. In another survey... Uh, about Christmas and buying and everything. It said that 51% of women and 42% of men say purchasing gifts are adding to their level of stress. Can you even imagine why fewer men are stressed out than the women when it comes to buying gifts? It could be that I just don't even worry about gifts. And a lot of us in that uh, gender or like the uncle. Being the uncle, my Christmas shopping is all done at the gift card section at a gas station convenience store. Well, gift giving is really not a big stress for Denise and me this year because we decided just not to get any gifts for one another. Is that right? <laughs> I don't want Christmas morning to come and there to be such a look of disappointment on my face. Yeah, and on your face, yeah. So in all of this stress, what we need is a cozy Christmas or a hygge holiday. That word spelled like that. And I think I'm losing myself here on the sound. Hygge is a Danish way of life, which is important to note because Denmark consistently ranks in, at the very top of the happiest places on the planet. And there are other 
governmental policy reasons for that, but Huga, as a part of their lifestyle, not just a Christmas time, but a part of the year lifestyle of the Danish people, contributes to that happiness. And the word Huga is a word that it's kind of like a hug without a touch. It's a sense of well-being. It's a, it's a sense and a feeling of coziness, and that's why we're calling it a, a cozy Christmas. And there are different elements. We're not going to cover all these elements of, of a Huga holiday, but there are a couple that we want to look at, and that is the first one is atmosphere. We looked at that last week in relation to light, and we saw last week how prevalent light is in the Christmas story of uh, Matthew, John, and Luke in the Christian scripture. And we saw a very pretty cool statement that Jesus said when he says, I'm the light of the world. I provide comfort. I provide direction. I provide peace that light gives. And none of us have an issue with Jesus claiming to be the light of the world. But then he, he does something kind of cool and a little bit heretical. He turns to people and he says, you all are the light of the world. We can be like Jesus. We can be that light as well. So that's what we looked at last year. What we're looking at today right there is presence. Being present in the moment and being present with people is a key part of Huga happiness. It's a key part of the Danish experience of Huga. And so we're looking this week at presence over presence. At its very core, Huga is about being in the moment, focusing on the moment, appreciating the moment, and being present with those with whom you are present. We can be with someone, but not present with that person. So I believe a cozy Christmas will be experienced by me and by you when we are two things. We're actually present in the moment, and we're present with people. One of my favorite authors, Eckhart Tolle, says most humans are never fully present in the now because unconsciously they believe that the next moment must be more important than this one. But then you miss your whole life, which is never, not now. Yeah, it's kind of weird to think this is the most important moment in your life right now. Not because I'm teaching, but because we're right now. And that's what's happening right now. This wise, wise man's teaching is really very familiar. The need to live in the present moment with full awareness is a common theme in world religions. You'll find it uh, among Hindu, among the Taoist, uh, among the Jewish, among the Muslims, and Christians. All teachers in those religions urge us to make the most of every day, to make the most of every moment, to be aware of what's going on in the present. Let me show you a little bit of uh, this teaching from the Christian and the Hebrew scripture. Whenever you all see this question, have a question slide, those of you who are first-timers, if I don't talk too long, then we'll have some time at the end of the teaching to entertain some of the questions that you might have about this teaching or really just about anything else in life. So that's what that is all about. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't want to get on to Jesus, but Jesus, you sound really like Debbie Downer here. <laughs> you see, I don't know why this verse focuses so much on the negative, but it's really kind of a depressing verse. Don't worry about today or rather tomorrow because you got trouble tomorrow. Just worry about the trouble today. I think he could have said that a little bit better, really. I don't know. But anyway, I like psalms a whole lot. We used to have a song when I was growing up, uh, well, in high school and college, uh, based on this uh, psalm. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in today. Some of you are going through that song in your mind right now. I used to preach on this passage when I was at the Baptist Church in Springfield because I was ushering in, uh, introducing some new things. Like I've never done that before, right? Some new way of thinking. I was even doing that when I was 28 years old as a pastor. And this is one of my theme verses in my nine years pastoring Jefferson Avenue Baptist Church. I try to get people to do this. I try to do this myself. To forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, God says, I'm doing a new thing. Now, not later, it springs up. So be aware right now. What right now is going to happen? I don't want to miss because I'm too busy thinking about the past or thinking about the future. Do you not perceive it? No, we don't perceive it because our minds are in the uh, history or our minds are in the future. So we don't see what God is doing right now. I am making a way in the wilderness. Whatever you're going through right now, God's making a way through that. He's making streams in the wasteland. That's a pretty powerful passage. Go back to the Christian scripture. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they're saying, where, where is the kingdom of God? And when's it going to happen? And Jesus says, you know, people are not going to say, well, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's right here, right now. Don't wait for a better day tomorrow. Right now, you have within you the kingdom of God, and you have within you everything that's necessary to bring peace to your life and peace to this world. Uh, Pete Generous introduced me to Thich Nhat Hanh uh, probably eight years ago, nine years ago. He's a Buddhist monk, and he died a couple of years ago. He was real active in the peace movement. He was... Uh, living in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And uh, I love what he said here. Only the present moment is real and available to us. The peace we desire is not in some distant future. It is in something we can realize in the present moment. So in Luke's story, back to the Christmas story, Mary does something three times. She does, it's not that she cries three times. It's not that she screams three times. It does, it's not that she posts something on Facebook three times. Mary does something three times. What she does is ponder. When the angel told Mary that she was going to get pregnant, she pondered. In the stable, after the shepherds left, after giving birth to, to Jesus, Luke says, Mary pondered. When Jesus was a 12-year-old middle schooler and he was missing from home, Mary and Joseph had no idea where he was. They found him in the temple in Jerusalem as a middle schooler having theological discussions with the priests. After that, 
Luke says, Mary pondered. Well, it's Christmas. Let's go back to the Christmas story of Luke chapter 2. But Mary treasured up all these things after the shepherds had left and pondered them in her heart. She pondered and she treasured. So here's Mary sitting in the stable with her new baby, pondering, not posting in the stable. There was no phone, no internet, no likes, no comments. It was just her and Jesus, and that was enough. So she pondered. She reflected. That's a lot going on in her life. And when a thousand words needed to be posted from the rooftop, she just inwardly reflected. It's hard to do that in our world, isn't it? When something exciting happens, our first inclination is to post it. Maybe what we need to do when something happens is to take some time just to ponder it. I don't know about you, but I know that I need more pondering, just like Mary. Everything that happens doesn't need to be posted or texted or tweeted. I think I hear what God is saying to me is this. Philip, you just need to be silent. When something happens and you experience something, you just need to reflect on it, ponder it. You need to be present in the moment and fully experience what you're going through. It's all about being mindful. The classic definition of mindfulness is from a, <clears throat> a, a PhD professor of medicine at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. I can't pronounce his name, so I'll let you do that. But he says this, mindfulness is awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. I want to bring this down to where I can understand it. When I think about mindfulness, I think about how I eat. I think about food. Now, the majority of people on the planet, when they hear the two words, food fast, they think about a physical act that does spiritual cleansing when you have a fast from your food. Now, when you and I as Americans put the two words together, food and fast, we reverse them, <laughs> and we think of fast food. We like our food fast, and I eat my food fast. I am not a mindful eater. Honestly, one thing that has helped me become a mindful eater uh, there was an elder at Fellowship Bible Church that I pastored for 19 years. That He's the one that introduced me and uh, Denise, too, to wine drinking. I just love the fact that an elder at an evangelical fundamentalist church introduced me to wine. And I pushed back. You liberal, you. <laughs> Things turn around. But when Denise and I began to drink wine at dinner, it did result in slowing down a little bit because you just sipped your wine. I just gulped my iced tea before that. 
I just want to be a more mindful eater and savoring the moment. And that to me is just uh, a kind of a microcosm of what I need to do in all of my life. Just to slow down. We are fast, fast eaters. Comedian Irma Bombeck from my, uh, our, our generation said this, Thanksgiving dinners take 18 hours to prepare. They are consumed in 12 minutes. Half times take 12 minutes. This is not a coincidence. <laughs> when I was writing this sermon uh, this week, my mind on this point went to the early 60s and the group Simon and Garfunkel. Is anybody beside John and me know Simon and Garfunkel? There are a few. Please listen to Simon and Garfunkel when you have a time. And the song that came to me was a song, I don't know the title of it, but uh, I did jot down the lyrics. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning, what was it? Feeling groovy. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for fun and feeling groovy. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then there was this line. Life, I love you. All is groovy. I want that philosophy. I want to get up every day, no matter what happens, no matter what the doctor's report is, and say, life, I love you. Today is groovy. And I thought about in terms of eating, changing the lyrics, slow down, you're eating too fast. You got to make the wine last. You got to make the vegetables last. Yeah. Slow down. Harvard University did some research and shows that people spend 47% of their waking hours thinking about something other than what they're doing. Half of the, our waking hours, we're not thinking about what we're doing. We're thinking about something else other than what we're doing. So what I want to do is the few times that I, get, I cook, I want to think about cooking and maybe turn off the news. I'm washing the dishes. Just enjoy the suds. Enjoy the warm water. Just think about that. Now, I do, I've taken my own survey, and I've discovered that when people are listening to a sermon, that they spend 90% of that time thinking about something else <laughs> other than that sermon. Well, this same study by Harvard showed that the wandering mind is an unhappy mind. I don't know how they determined that. But when we're not thinking about what we're doing in the present, we're less happy than we are when we are focusing on the present. And maybe that's why the Danish people rank one and two in the scale of the happiest people on the planet because they have built huga into their life, living in the present. So how do I practice mindfulness? Here are some things Denise and I are on the journey of trying to do in our lives. I want us to trust the divine indwelling you are indwelt by the divine, every one of you, regardless of your religious label. No religious label. Trust in the divine indwelling, encompassing all people, all beings, all events. God is in this. The divine is in this in some way. So realize that every moment, no matter how trivial, is an opportunity. It's a moment of grace. 
Cultivate awareness. Engage in one thing at a time. Do it slowly. Do it deliberately. Use your senses. Be aware of what you see, hear, touch, smell, and taste. Be aware of your thinking and when thoughts interfere, just gently bring your mind back to what's happening in the present moment. Devote your full attention to what is right now, whether it is listening to another person or simply being open to receive whatever may come to you from the current situation. This may not be something you're interested in, but I do encourage you to develop a regular schedule of meditation so that the practice of sitting in silence and trying to live in the present moment becomes a way of life for you. So, to be present in the moment, I think, is the first part of the Huga experience of presence. Second part of that experience of being present is to be present with people. Go back to Thich Nhat Hanh. The most precious gift we can offer others is our own presence. All of us think about gift giving at Christmas, about finding that perfect gift. And it's a lot of pressure to find that perfect gift. Aaron says, if anyone is looking for a last minute holiday gift from me, I'm size front row in Taylor Swift concert tickets. <laughs> I would take that gift. Dr. Zita Orifice did a study, and she said, our research found that micro moments of positivity, like a kind word, cuddling with a child, or receiving compassion, make people most loved. This uh, statement, she was a, uh, the lead researcher in a study called the Journal of Social and Personal Relationship, and this study showed it's not the big gifts that make people feel loved. It's those small acts of kindness, those small words of appreciation, the small hugs. I kind of want the big gifts too, though. Exhaustive study. It's an exhaustive study. And they said, no, what really makes people feel loved is you being present with them, being kind to them. So being present during the holidays means you're aware of the details of the moment. As you're wrapping gifts, be aware. As you're trying to fix the broken lights on your tree, I am damn aware of that. <laughs> and it's hard to see God in that moment and to, to respond to that with grace. So hard for me. I just got to be aware and learn something from that. And then to be present with people. Share those moments that you're experiencing with those around you. Now, even science says that's the best gift you can give yourself, the best gift that you can give others. And the biggest obstacle that we have in being present with each other is what? It's that phone. The phone is the biggest obstacle the studies show in us today being present with one another and being present in the moment. To illustrate that, here's a video that Whitney uh, Esquibel sent to me this week. So thank you, Whitney, for sending this. Take a look at the power of presence and the sadness of the lack of presence in this video. That's the whole sermon right there, isn't it? Seeing that, boy, as an old guy, it sure does bring back some regrets. 
how we could have and should have been more present with our kids during those days. We said goodbye this week to Norman Lear, who died at the age of 101. You know, one of the reasons I'm really glad I'm a child of the 70s, uh, spending my high school years in the 70s, and a couple of junior high years in there. Uh, But one of the reasons I'm glad I am a child of the 70s is because I got to see live uh, the uh, sitcoms produced by Norman Lear. And my favorite one of all those was his first one, All in the Family. All in the Family took us from the silly sitcoms of millionaire, uh, silly millionaires from the the hills of the Ozarks to uh, genies, Uh, jumping out of a bottle and castaways on an island somewhere to real-life situations in All in the Family and made us laugh at ourselves. Uh, I think 100% of Americans loved All in the Family. 50% of them loved Archie Bunker. 50% of them hated Archie Bunker. Uh, Like in Michael Stivick, the meathead son-in-law. But uh, a lot of us saw ourselves in that sitcom. Norma Lear was being interviewed by USA Today back in 2014. And he was in the middle of a reboot of one of his uh, earlier sitcoms. And he said this, I'm having more fun with the reboot because it's now. Then is a memory. Today is the moment. I'll leave you with those words. From Norman Lear. Today is your moment. Be present in today.